There's a foundational story in the life of our church which happened in 2011. I was flying into LA investigating whether we planned to church here or not. We lived in Raleigh, North Carolina. Anybody from Raleigh in the room? Amazing! <laughs> Go Wolfpack. And we were investigating whether to plant and trying to see if there were people interested in a church here in LA. I would fly in and one time I met someone who said, Gail, yeah, lovely to meet you. You should come to an event tonight at this bar in Beverly Hills. They're having a launch night of something. I went, great. I'm living the LA dream. This is awesome. And so went to this bar in Beverly Hills, waited for this guy outside. He never showed, discovering the LA life here. And then, but still went inside and went to the bar, got a gin and tonic and sat down and started to talk to these amazingly interesting three people. They're all in the entertainment world. I never met people with scripts, so many scripts that were yet to come to fruition and just a fascinating conversation. After a half an hour of hearing all their stories and where they're from, one person did the inevitable and said to me, so Gare, yeah, why are you in LA? And I said to them, oh, you know, the conversation is going really well. I'm not too sure I want to say. It never goes well. And they went, yeah, don't worry, this is LA, man. You be you. We're for you. you be, everyone's, everything's normal here in Los Angeles. We're for you. It can't be bad. I go, well, all right, I warned you. And I said, I'm a pastor, and I've come to start a new church in Santa Monica. The guy on my left immediately picked up his drink and left the table. The guy in front of me picked up his drink, stood up, and looked at me and said, but you're such a nice guy, <laughs> and left the table. And then the lady on my right looked at me, and her eyes went glassy with tears. It looked like she was expecting some kind of judgment or criticism or shame, and she just politely said, excuse me, and left the table. And alone in a bar in Beverly Hills... I thought, Lord, how on earth do we tell people about Jesus in this city? In this cultural moment, with that kind of reaction, how do we share the good news about Jesus? We're going to look today at a passage in the book of Acts. How Paul, the Apostle Paul, goes to a city very similar to Los Angeles, a city called Athens. And in that city, he too has to learn, how am I going to share Jesus to this city? In this unique cultural moment in the life of Athens, and by looking at that, we'll look at also how do we learn how to share the good news about Jesus in this cultural moment in Los Angeles. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Acts chapter 17. I'm going to read it off the screen, so if you don't have a Bible, follow me as I read off the screen here. While Paul was waiting for them, his mates, while Paul was waiting for his mates in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others, others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. 
They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of their Arapagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up at the meeting of the Arapagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everything, everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophet, poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Arapagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. How on earth did Paul tell people about Jesus in that cultural moment? And what can we learn from that today? The first we see is Paul had a posture of love for the city. A posture of love for the city. Paul's on his second missionary journey. He's traveling around Asia Minor and Europe. And he comes to Athens, one of the greatest cities of the known world a center of intellectual and cultural achievement. Great philosophers such as Socrates and Plato and others lived there. Athens was also an entertainment capital of the world with famous playwrights. It was kind of like the Silicon City of the time. It was highly religious that you would walk through the marketplace, which was the common area in the city where people would gather to do business, to watch plays, to meet up with each other, to play games. It was kind of like the communal area of the city. And as you walked around that marketplace, Paul saw a multitude of idols. Idols and temples of the Roman, Caesar, and Greek gods. 
So many gods and idols would litter the streets that one novelist at the time wrote of Athens, it is easier to meet a god in the street than a human. It was full of idols. And Paul is waiting, hanging around, waiting for his friends to catch up, having some, having some lunch, olives and feta cheese or something, waiting for his friends. And it says that he was greatly distressed. He was greatly distressed. Literally that his spirit in the Greek, pneuma, his spirit was broken. Now Paul wasn't surprised at the idols in the city. He knew Greek culture very well. He knew Roman culture very well. He didn't turn to Athens and go, oh my word, I didn't know this was happening. He knew very well about the idolatry of the Roman and Greek gods, but there was something in that moment as he walked around Athens that God broke his spirit, broke his heart to see people trying to find the meaning of life in all the wrong areas. Paul was greatly troubled. See, Paul saw what was going on, saw the hedonism, saw the slavery, saw the wickedness, saw the lostness, and his reaction was one of love. Love. Greatly distressed at what he saw. When you look at our city, what is your posture? What is your posture as you see the brokenness and the lostness of our own culture? Is it a posture of love? greatly distressed because you have the heart of love for our city. Andy Crouch, in his book, Culture Making, talks about the four activities of anyone when you engage in a culture of a city. He says that whenever you move to a city, whenever you're involved in the city, you have four responses. There's a slide up here with them. One is to condemn, you look at oh, the, the evil in the city, you condemn it, the injustice and the pain. Then there's criticizing. It's like, oh, I'm not too sure that is good for our city. Then there's consuming, you like just go all in and go, you know what, I love this, this is awesome. I love my pour overs and pumpkin spice lattes or whatever it may be. And then all there's copying. It's like, you know what, I want to participate, I want to do this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up my own coffee shop and do my own PSLs, whatever it may be. He talks about these activities in the life of the Christian. That when you go to a city, we are called to love the city in a way, but in a posture of love, we can then come to a city and we can drive out the evil, condemn the evil in the city, to criticize things and to work for reform when things aren't doing well. We can engage and enjoy the city when it's one of beauty, and we can copy it. We can bring our own. We can adopt its own practices when we think it's going it's to further the works of Jesus. But Andy Crouch says, but be careful because you have to distinguish between two things, gestures and postures. He says, these things are great when they're gestures of love. When they're gestures, of, when your posture is one of love, that I love and I want to therefore work for the reform of the city. 
Out of love, I want to drive out the evil in the city. Out of love, I want to enjoy the good things of this city. But he says it's so easy when your heart is not one of love to come to a city and over time your gestures of criticism or condemnation can start to become your posture. And suddenly you become a condemning person. You become a person who just criticizes the city. Or you become a person who just consumes the city regardless. You know what? You take away any kind of way of Jesus and I'm just going to follow the way of the city. Or you're someone who copies. You know, I, don't want to, I don't want to stand out. I don't want to stick out. I want to just blend in. And you just start to get wrapped up and do the things of the city. Gestures and postures. And Andy Crouch says that over the last year, he says, I wonder what we Christians are known for in the world outside our churches. Are we known as critics, consumers, copiers, condemners of culture? He says, I think I'm afraid so. But when Paul came into the city of Athens, he came with a spirit of love. His heart was broken for the city. He then, out of that posture of love, could then speak to the city and go, these things are not great for you because I love you. These things actually don't further your search for meaning and truth. He started to criticize the idolatry and go, he started to challenge the idolatry. But the city knew he was coming from a place of love. It's the same posture that Jesus had for us. I think so. sometimes when we hear Christians speak, and obviously I'm one of them. We kind of think the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, should go like this, for God so hated the world that he had to do something about it. He got so tired and fed up with people, he had to draw all to an end. It's that posture of anger, and yet we know that the posture of God towards humanity, when we are at our worst, it's for God so loved the world. Do you love our city? I was talking to my wife recently and we have to always distinguish between love and like. You know, I could list the things I like about the city and list the things I don't like about the city. But that's regardless to what God has called us to do to love our city. I say a lot, a lot, I love LA. And my wife said, sometimes I think you're giving the impression, I think she had a fair point, that you, lo- you like everything about the city. And I go, no, I need to clarify. I'm called to love this city in its brokenness, in its beauty, in its traffic, <laughs> in its beaches. During COVID, I would walk down the boardwalk through Venice Beach. And it's easy as others to come with a posture of criticism and condemnation. And I felt every day, Lord, let me come with a spirit of love. Yes, that doesn't mean there are challenges we have to find solutions to, and I'm all for that. But it's the posture of, Lord, my heart breaks for this city. And I'm called to love her. 
You know, don't you, whenever you're trying to tell anybody anything, they know the posture you're coming from. Your kids know, your spouse knows, your friends know. If you're condemning or criticizing, they won't listen. But if you come from a posture of love, then they will have open ears. So firstly, telling our city about Jesus starts with a posture of love. Secondly, it comes through understanding. It comes as we understand our city. Paul, it says, passed around, he walked around Athens and noted that it was full of idols. He walked around and he took time to understand. What is the spiritual journey of this city? Where is it at right now? Do you know the spiritual journey our city is on? Do you know where it's at right now spiritually? That we can actually come into that conversation and have a dialogue with the conversation that is already happening in our city spiritually. Of course, that question is answered differently depending on which community that you live in in our city. Different ethnic groupings and different socioeconomic groupings have different conversations. But there is a theme, there's a trend going on in our city, and some of us who are not from LA, we need to understand what is going on in our city. I'm from the UK, I'm now an American citizen. Woohoo! But I mean, how many here, let's do a little get to know each other, how many of here grew up in Los Angeles? Look at you, locals, so good. About, what's that, 10%, 15%? How many of you grew up in the South? Look at all of you guys. So good. Can I include Texas in the South? Is that okay? I'm just looking at some Texans again. I'm not too sure if I, you know. Um, Midwest, Midwest, amazing. Kind of the East Coast. Wow. Look at you guys escaping the weather. Okay, and Pacific Northwest up that way. There you go. Amazing. Canadians. Look, so polite. Yes, that's <laughs> Amazing. So polite. I love Canadians. I used to live there. I love it. But you see, we all come from different cultures where a spiritual journey will be very different. As we come to LA, it's, we have to, in order to tell our city about Jesus, we have to know what the spiritual conversation is happening already. Paul saw the city was full of idols. And he said, I discern that you are very religious. I affirm that you're looking and seeking something. I affirm, in fact, that you don't think you found it. I know that because you've got a statue here that says to an unknown God. That you're still looking for something that the other statues and other gods don't satisfy. Well, based on that hunger which I know you have, let me tell you the person who can satisfy that hunger. Well, what is the conversation happening in our city? I've got some slides here that help me understand where we're at in our cultural moment right now in our city and what conversation the city is having spiritually. And it's in different stages representing, I think, the rapid movement of cultural spiritual conversations over the last 50 years. In the 1950s and 60s, we had a very different cultural moment spiritually where people, if they were interested in God or spiritual things, would automatically look to the church, look to Jesus. 
They had an infrastructure behind them that was passed on and was part of Christendom. That was Christianity is popular. Uh, it's respected. It's kind of seen as true. It's just, I actually just need to be awakened to it. That telling people about Jesus was kind of shocking people into making a decision to kind of wake up. I call it defibrillator evangelism. Like, wake up! And so you had moments with people who were amazingly anointed to give that kind of electric shock to go, guys, come on, where are you going to go when you die? What are you doing with Jesus? You know, is Jesus a backseat? Are you, are you driving all these kind of analogies? Because we assumed all that infrastructure was already there in people's lives. Well, things moved on. 70s and 80s, there suddenly became obstacles in the way of someone coming to Jesus. Christianity was still popular. People still respected it. But now, with the advent of the MTV generation, entertainment with multiculturalism, that my neighbor is a Buddhist, my neighbor is a Sikh, my neighbor is a Muslim, oh my word, how, why am I right and they're wrong? And all of a sudden, these barriers in the way of someone coming to Jesus, we needed to respond to. So let's give evidence, very modernistic mindset, let's give evidence that Jesus is true, that the resurrection did happen. So the amazing books like Lee Strobel's Case for Christ, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, More Than a Carpenter. Have you read these books or heard of these books? Because they were responding to the obstacles of, is this true? Is there evidence for this? And then churches became attractional because it was like, oh my word, church seems so boring. We need to get some lights and some fog machines in here so that people realize we're relevant to culture. And our sermons are expository, they're boring. Let's talk about how to have a great marriage, that we actually help people. Topical sermons. There was, that was responding to the cultural, spiritual conversation. Well, guess what? Los Angeles in 2021 is not like this. We've changed. So now we have a situation where there's far more obstacles. Post-Christendom, post-modernism have brought in way more barriers for people to engage in this journey of spirituality and particularly towards Jesus. Post-modernism means that actually people want to experience their truth, not be told any scientific evidence. They want to discern it, not hear it from some kind of expert. They want to, they want to see what works for them. Truth is experiential, not objective. It's subjective. Then you've got post-Christendom, which is like, well, actually, I've heard about Jesus, but we've kind of moved beyond that. Jesus was kind of like my parents' generation. I've moved beyond that. And in fact, we kind of want to cancel that and move forward because today's age is defined by being anti what is in the past as we look at the freedom and being autonomous for the future. And therefore, I want to discover my own spirituality. I'll pick and mix different things that work for me. And in fact, looking at the church and the behavior of the church, I don't even think I respect Christianity and Jesus. So my little stick figure here is if someone is interested in spirituality, then actually they will run away from Jesus to other things, not seek to investigate Jesus. And so they'll look to other things, things like their preferred exercise program, yoga or crystals or meditation, and, or they'll look at body image and worshiping that, or they'll look at other things. That will be, this is what I want to put my hope in. Does this ring true with anyone in the room? This is our cultural moment. And therefore we have to actually realize I need to understand this. 
I need to realize that the spiritual conversations that my friends are having or would have needs to start here. And if we're going to tell people about Jesus, we have to be like Paul and go to them where they're at and start to have a conversation, a dialogue there. Too often, we still try and have a conversation as if these barriers and these obstacles aren't there. No wonder then it seems just irrelevant. So Paul understood the spiritual times, understood the spiritual context, and said, let me start there. And that's what we need to do as well. We need to dialogue where people are at. Dialogue where people are at. Paul saw the idolatry. He saw where the city was at and then entered into conversation with them. He went around the marketplace. He went into the temple. They then invited him to kind of a lecture theater where the Stoics and the other philosophers would just debate things all day. He entered into their culture and started to dialogue. And in that dialogue to present Jesus as the answer to that conversation. To suggest Jesus is the answer to the questions that they have. So for Paul, it was, guys, you have, literally you have a statue to an unknown God. The very next verse is, can I suggest I know who this unknown God is? And he started to tell them about Jesus. He used their own architecture. He used their own spiritual conversations to point to Jesus. He said, all these idols which you're putting your trust in, they're not fulfilling your deepest longings, but I know someone who can. It's Peter Kreft who diagnosed what the three fundamental longings of humanity are. He said they are truth, goodness, and beauty. Truth, goodness, that everyone is desiring to know the truth. Everyone is desiring the world to be a good place. That relationships and society to be, to be just, to be peaceful, to be places of healing and inclusion. That everyone's looking for beauty, that our hearts yearn for the beauty of society. It's why in California, in LA, we love going for hikes and we go out to the beach and we just get so wrapped up in the beauty of things. And Paul then starts to tell them, all these gods, you're looking for beauty, truth, and goodness in these idols, and yet you remain dissatisfied. These will never deliver on the fundamental longings of humanity. And we have the same today. We can say today, Los Angeles, you're turning not to physical idols, but you're turning good things into idols, that if I just get more of this, and I worship this, then I will find truth, goodness, and beauty in my life. If I get that career, if I get that relationship, if I get more sex, if I get bigger pecs, or whatever it may be. We all worship something. No man is an island, and we all turn to something or someone for truth, goodness, and beauty. But like Paul, we see 
the conclusion that it's just not working. We don't have statues that say to an unknown God, but we still see in our city the ongoing search that whatever we tried, it's never enough. I know it's never enough because I've never met anyone who says, you know what? I think I'm content. I've never met anyone who says, you know what? I've I've made it. I'm done. There's always, you know what? I'm hungry for that next promotion. I'm hungry for that next bonus. I'm hungry for that next beach house. I'm hungry for that next relationship. I'm hungry... I'm hungry, I'm hungry. The hunger is never satisfied outside of Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He claims to be the one who could quench and satisfy the appetites of humanity. I remember on our Alpha course, Alpha starts this Tuesday, and it's a space where people can just discuss the big ideas of life in a safe environment. And one of the people in my group, after about five weeks of being quite silent in the group, which you're allowed to do on Alpha, it was beautiful, she felt safe not to say anything, but week six, she said, can I say something, Gary? I went, of course, I'd love that. And to a long story short, she gave this beautiful story about how she has been searching all of her life for meaning and purpose and for love that truly satisfied. And she went through all the things that she's tried. And she said, last week, Gary, you challenged us. If we want to see if Jesus is real, just simply pray, Jesus, if you're real, show your love to me. So I went home and I prayed that prayer. And this week, I can't stop praying that prayer because I felt a love I've never tasted before. She said, it feels like I finally found what I've been looking for. And it's Jesus. I mean, she did it that way. It's like, it was Jesus. And the group was full of people who were not Jesus followers. And she said, I just want you all to know, I've tried everything. And I've found what I've been looking for in Jesus. We need to show our city that humbly connect with them and say, we know you're still hungry. We know the hunger's there. We all face it. We all feel it. But have you found it? Peter Gould in his book, Cultural Apologetics, helps us here, where he takes the truth, goodness, and beauty and says, actually, in today's cities, we have to actually reverse that in how we present Jesus to people. It used to be that we used to say, you know what, great, goodness and beauty is Jesus, but is it true? Remember that? In the 1980s, what's the evidence? And so we used to have all these evidentiary discussions about Jesus, but he said, they're just not relevant anymore. There's nothing more boring for someone in our city to hear a talk on 10 reasons for the evidence of the resurrection. Doesn't make, that meant nothing to me. Your truth is not my truth. But Peter Gould challenges us to say, we have to start instead with beauty and goodness of Jesus. See, our culture has gone so far that they actually don't realize that Jesus is the beauty they long for or the goodness that we long for. 
that they need to realize that when you're out surfing and you taste this amazing, almost spiritual experience of beauty in the world, well, let me introduce you to the author of that beauty. When you're fighting for justice, when you're fighting against evil in this world, when you're looking to our society and go, we must heal it, well, do you know that there's a person who created this perfect and he's brokenhearted and wants, actually, he's on a project to heal this whole world? He is the great healer. He's goodness personified. For some reason, and there's lots of reasons I won't go into now, but our culture thinks that if you're wanting beauty and goodness in the world, the last place you go is church. It's time for us to show to our culture the beauty and goodness of Jesus. In our conversations, in how we work, in how we neighbor, do people taste the beauty and goodness of Jesus? In how we engage in politics, in how we engage in discussions, in how we engage with our disagreements, do people taste the beauty and goodness of Jesus. Our city is hungry. And what a joy to be able to introduce them to the author of beauty and goodness. Truth still matters. But as Pascal said years ago, he said, people hate Christianity, but the cure for this is first to show them that Christianity is not contrary to reason, but worthy of reverence and respect. Then make it attractive. Make people wish it were true and then show them that it is. What a joy for people to interact with us, to interact with our community, to interact with followers of Jesus and taste what's going on and go, oh my word, I wish this were true. So how do we do it? How are we going to practically go out into our city like this? I want to give us just two little things we can do. The first is this. Be a friend of our city. Be a friend of our city. Engage with our city. Get in there with the light of Jesus Christ and love our city. I have a slide here that shows that these barriers that people need to overcome aren't overcome through me preaching at people. They're overcome by you loving our city and then taking people on a journey of love and conversation and listening. Then in Psalm, remember in Psalms it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Paul was doing that in the marketplace. He was dialoguing and he was talking and he was conversing and giving people an opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. The challenge is we don't have that kind of space in our culture today where people can come and go on this journey, can come and be listened to and be heard and talk about what they believe. That we don't have a place where we can actually dialogue about the beauty and the goodness of Jesus. But if you want to know what justice is, let me show you what Jesus did. If you want to know what the eradication of exclusion looks like, just look at the life of Jesus. So we create our own space for that at Vintage, and it's called Alpha. For Tuesday nights, beginning this Tuesday, for eight Tuesdays, we invite the city in. 
So let's dialogue about beauty, goodness, and truth, the longings that we all have, to listen to each other. I present, you know what, from my perspective, I, I found it in Jesus. But it's a safe place where anybody can come. Maybe you want to come and go, I want to dialogue. I'm not too sure what I believe. Or maybe if you've got friends, you know, I'm going to bring them. We say on Alpha, there's no judgment, no pressure, no preaching. It's a safe space. But what an opportunity to do what Paul did, to engage with our city, to can I suggest that your dissatisfaction is real, is honorable. But you know the idols of sex and money, leisure, pleasure, treasure, man, they feel good going down, but then they're dissatisfied inside. Can we suggest Jesus? The very last part of this passage is many people did in this conversation believe. They also said that many wanted to know more. Said, I'm not convinced. They went on this journey. And some people do Alpha like three or four times as they want to go on this long and beautiful journey. I'm on my 39th Alpha. I've got lots of journeying to do. They also said some sneered. And that's okay. We leave everyone to the hands of Jesus. We can't determine outcomes. He is the sovereign God. But in all of this, we want to make space to share the news of Jesus, to show how beautiful he is, how good he is. And you know what? It's actually quite true as well. Let's stand together. Love you just to close your eyes. And Jesus, as we close our eyes before you, we, we ask that you show us your heart for our city. That you've called us to love her in its beauty and its brokenness. Not to have a posture of criticizing, condemning, but to love. And we pray for people that we know and love in our city. We pray that you would draw them to you. The one who says, you'll never thirst again if you come to me. And if there's any way, Jesus, we can help that conversation, bringing them to Alpha, just loving them, Lord, help us do that. And as we worship you now, we pray that you would break our hearts again. We can't do that by force, but it's you that we might feel your feelings and so Holy Spirit we welcome you here move in us that we may love our city understand our city and humbly help people discover the beauty and goodness of Jesus let's worship together